0: Welcome back to The Evolution, my name is Jeff Bayless. With this project, I've always tried to diversify the people I have on to ensure that I'm interviewing people that have positive messages to help us all keep things uh, focused in the direction of growth, improvement, mental, physical, and spiritual well-being. And this week I have my friend Clayton Ritter. He's a pastor at the Seashore Church here in Virginia Beach. Uh, I got to know him through cycling and running and uh, the triathlon uh, community. Uh, but he's got a lot of, a lot of wisdom here uh, that you're going to hear. And, uh, you know, I think the, the main focus is that uh, you deserve love. You know, we all deserve love. And God loves you, and He just wants to help share that message. and so uh, we talked a little bit about his story, but we also talked uh, that open invitation that God has for you. So enjoy. All right, man, so thanks for coming to my house. I appreciate you coming over uh, and being flexible with schedule. I know we're both pretty busy, um, but I do appreciate you taking the time and coming to my house and uh, you know sharing your message, man so. Welcome.
1: Thanks. It's good to be here. It's an honor to be on the on the podcast. <laughs> Is this your first interview? Uh, not, Pod- not. podcast interview. First podcast interview. Right. Yes, oh. but cool. I've had a chance to listen to a couple years so far, and I really like it. I, lo- I love this whole theme of resilient resiliency. It's been great. Awesome. Yeah, and I I we had talked off show like about mm-hmm. uh,
0: your podcast, and I mm-hmm. I respect what you're doing there with putting the word of God out there for people that yeah. may not. Maybe they have whatever hang up or reason from coming through the door, and you're you're banging down their door with the word, you know, just or maybe not banging down their door, but making it very accessible. And so I, you know, I respect that too, man. That's really cool what you're doing there.
1: Yeah, cool. It's it's something we honestly don't put a lot of effort into our Seashore Church message of the week. Uh, It's basically our Sunday message that we have in our church every Sunday night, and we just put that message on our podcast, but you know, we came to realize that that really has the ability to reach so many more people than a service does. More people than could fit in a building can listen to a podcast, uh, and it's free. So it's it's great. It's free for us to produce. It's free for people to listen to, and it's just a great way of getting the gospel out to as many people as possible very efficiently. Yeah, we love the the platform.
0: Well, it says a lot about your intentions too, right? Mm
1: -hmm. So, you know,
0: why are we trying to get people to God? Why are we trying to get people to spirituality? Is it because we're trying to be Joel Olstein and fill this cathedral, this huge theater full of people and make a bunch of money? Or is right. it because like we actually believe in the work that we're doing? Yeah. Right? And uh, I think if you're a person that, like yourself in the position that you're in, if you actually put the word out there for free, mm. say, mm. hey, look, you know, we'd love for you to come to service. Yeah. But if you can't, i still want you to get the word yeah right
1: it is it is you know god God, uh god doesn't live in a building Mm -hmm. he we're in church right now brother we're in church right now that's right but he chose to make his residence in our in our own hearts that's that's where he actually lives and exists and so uh when you understand that god is more interested in the condition of our heart than the size or the cleanliness or the spectacularity of our buildings Um, then you can kind of focus on what God's focused on. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I love great church buildings. I I lived in Europe for a while and used to walk around some of these cathedrals that were just stunningly beautiful. And even the windows would tell pictures, or or sorry, the the windows would tell stories based upon the pictures that were on them. And I thought these took hundreds and hundreds of years to build. What a beautiful monument, but they're empty. Oh, yeah. So what's the point? Are they still fulfilling the purpose that they had when they were originally built and god chooses to make his dwelling with us and in us that we are a temple of the holy spirit is what the bible says and so i think there's a lot more efficient ways to focus on what god's focused on and that is winning hearts and winning souls uh than sometimes building buildings not against building buildings but if it becomes the focus above reaching people um i I think you can run into some challenges so we i know it's been said before that water's free but it takes money to get it to people mm mm-hmm. yeah but like the plumbing's not um but hey this plumbing's pretty free <laughs> yeah right yeah. podcasts are actually like having free plumbing in your house it's great so, you know that
0: that resonates with me too because uh I shared this probably just on my last podcast but for a lot of years and we're both into triathlon and yeah. running and cycling and yeah. stuff and uh I mean if you went through my entire house right now you would not find any trophies anywhere. Huh. I, just, I you know and I don't I don't poo-poo anybody that does yeah. that. Yeah. Uh but for me it became about the trophy. And so I had to donate those to remind myself yeah. that it's about the self growth this you know yeah. it's the investment in Jeff. Right. Not the investment in this bronze, you know, I, like I, I'm not I know I have friends that love the trophies, you sure. know, and that, that's cool. And I, I take them and take a picture with them every time. But yeah, um, yeah that, that resonates with me too. Like, it's not about the building. Like I said, we're in yeah. church now. It's, yeah. uh, whatever you're striving for, I think a lot of times when you get to that, if, if it's not a constant practice or discipline, you know, you can get to the point where yeah. what's the next thing? Yeah. What's the next thing? What's the next thing? And that's then great. Why are we doing it? Right.
1: That's funny. You mentioned the medals because I'm sure you have quite a few more of them than I do. Uh, no, I have zero. I have, well, you <laughs> have earned quite a few more than I have. Yeah. You know, I but uh, every every rate, you know, after a while, every 5K, you get a medal. You mm-hmm. know, it's, it's whether you're a 5K or a full Ironman, it's probably still the same type of medal. But I give them all to my daughter. So her room is full of them. Oh, I, that's cool. Uh, partly, I don't have the space for it. But I'm, I, I hear what you're saying. I really don't care so much about it. You know, and it's, uh, it's more about knowing the accomplishment and what's coming next race t-shirts however i realized my entire closet is nothing but race t-shirts so mm-hmm. i had to i had to purge those after a while i think my wife was getting a little tired of them heidi
0: made a a blanket out of hers oh that's a good idea yeah, yeah
1: i could make a, a, i could make a blanket selling business from race t-shirts it's pretty bad. <laughs> yeah. but if you go into my mom's house for a while you know i obviously haven't lived at home with my parents in years uh, but she had every trophy I had, even as a kid growing up, of every sport I played in. So people would come over to her house, and they think her son's dead. It looked like the Clayton Shrine <laughs> in the room. They all dusty, and I said, "Can you please pack these up, put them away, turn this place into a guest room?" And she finally did. So, well, that funny. that's a
0: good segue. So tell us a little bit about yourself. We, yeah. we got we got jumped into conversation, <laughs> which good friends do but that's right tell us a little bit about yourself your background your yeah. Upbringing. yeah
1: so I was born uh, in Virginia Beach Virginia which is where we're sitting right now and best city in the whole wide world and grew up in the Kempsville area went to Kempsville high school played a lot of sports as a kid but um, between my ninth and tenth grade year which when I was going to school ninth grade was still junior high not even middle school junior mm-hmm. high and then high school was 10th, 11th and 12th grade so between 9th and 10th grade so the summer before I went into high school I went from 6 foot 1 to 6 foot 6 over the summer mm. so that's all you know i'm 68 now yeah, okay. so it took me another couple of years to grow the extra 2 inches but uh, i really shot up and to the point when you know i played soccer and baseball and um, did a lot of other sports and I think my feet were just too big to juggle a soccer ball anymore, so I thought I'd probably focus more on basketball. Um, had a great program at Kemsville High School and had a pretty good senior year and a lot of colleges started to come knocking down the door, offering me scholarships. Uh, ended up signing with James Madison University, go Dukes, and played there for four years. Uh, had some, we had some really, really good teams. We won our conference regular season every year that I was there. Uh, Leftry Giselle was my coach and uh, great, great program. My senior year, we had to win the conference tournament in order to make the NCAA tournament. And we, fi- we got to the finals, but we had never won this tournament in, in all four years that I had been there. So we hadn't made the NCAAs. And we finally got to the championship again in my senior year uh, and we're playing Old Dominion, kind of our arch rival. Mm-hmm. sorry if we got any ODU fans out there. <laughs> this was 1994, and, you know, we, we're, we've we're got a really good team, but we're down 19 points in the second half, and we're like, oh, no, it's going to happen again. This is what's going to happen. We rallied the team around and said, hey, fellas, look, this isn't what we came here for. We, we're better than this. And we came back from 19 points down in the second half to um, within – Two. So we were down two points with .8 seconds left in the game and we had the ball out under ODU's basket. Uh, we drew up a play and I passed it to my teammate who shot it at the buzzer, hit a three and won nice. the game by one point, went into the NCAA tournament. Probably the worst day in ODU's basketball history and one of the <laughs> yeah. best in JMU basketball history. Um, but that was one of the most exciting days of my life. That was awesome. Um, and so from there, we played in the NCAA tournament. I had a really good game against University of Florida who went on to the Final Four that year, even though we lost the game. At, we kind of lost the, that game, how we had beat Old Dominion. Uh, they beat us on a last-second play and then went on to the Final Four. And um, That game was on national television and kind of got uh, a good look from a lot of NBA teams. And so I had never had any kind of goal of playing in the NBA. I'd be honest, my, my goal in college was to try to get into law school and then be an FBI agent. That was that was what I wanted as a career path. Right. Uh, but all of a sudden, these NBA teams are going, "Hey, we want you. We may draft you. We're, we're, would you come out and try out for us?" And and I was like, "Huh." That's, well, that's no, ultimately You wanted to get in politics too, right? I did. I actually wanted yeah. to be one of the senators from Virginia. I think that was kind of a long-term goal. Uh, don't know that I'd want to be these days the way politics are going, but. That was kind of a long-term goal for me. I think it is telling of your personality, Mm -hmm. though,
0: that you were willing to be of service. Like you knew that you wanted to be of service even at a young age. Yeah. You know the sports were self-fulfilling. Sure. Or maybe the team building. Sure.
1: But your Uh, moral compass was driving you to service anyway, right? It was. It was. In fact, I left out a part of this story. I'm glad you reminded me of that. My. uh, So I got early admission into JMU my senior year of high school. And there was an acceptance letter that you get that has a little phrase in this that I'll never forget. And that is that your admission is based on the successful completion of your last semester courses. Mm -hmm. So I'd signed the scholarship, got admitted, but failed two classes the last semester of my senior year. I kind of didn't go to class for the last two weeks. And it really rocked my world. And so I got denied admission into JMU. Um, and I found out on my graduation day. So the day I was supposed to walk and graduate oh, wow. right off into the sunset, being a yeah. big man on ca- campus at JMU, I found out they denied me admission. Couldn't sign with anybody else. I was eligible by NCAA standards, but they denied my admission because I failed two classes. And so I found out over the course of the next week, my only real option was to go to prep school, which was a military prep school, Fork Union Military Academy. Hmm. And I went from thinking I'm going on campus to be a basketball star and hang out with all these beautiful women to an old guy's (laughs) military school where I've got some 16-year-old lieutenant telling me what to do all day. And I'm like, this this is crazy. Um, But it was in that process that, man, it really, really straightened me out. Taught me self-discipline. Best coach I've ever had in my life was the coach of this team. Um, and so you talk about resiliency. That was a moment for me that I realized I may have all the talent in the world. I worked hard. I wasn't always the most talented, but I've got no self-discipline. Mm. Like I, I'm, I really just let things go sometimes. And that military school taught me a lot of things. It taught me the discipline that I needed to have. It taught me to appreciate the gifts that I do have. And it, it actually taught me to really honor our military. Mm. I, my dad served in the Army um, before I was born, but I didn't really come from a heavy military background. And to be honest, I grew up in a city that at that time, pre-9-11, didn't really appreciate the Navy. Yeah, that's right. They were just people that came down and, and ruined our oceanfront every summertime. That's kind of the general sure. idea. Uh, and I'm not saying I was a part of that, but I certainly didn't have the appreciation that I had until I went to military school. I
0: think that's that's uh, mm. that's pretty well received yeah nation like across the nation yeah you know there's a reason they call 912 patriots day because hmm. you know after 9 11 everybody listening to this knows exactly where they were yeah i mean you
1: know where you were you do yeah you do and so yeah you really do it gave me an appreciation for something i didn't realize several years later as i got into ministry i oversaw a military ministry with you know 450 families and um kind of a unique little niche of pastoring our naval special warfare community and i think a lot of those seeds were sown very early on so sometimes Mm. you think man i've wrecked my life this stinks but god's actually teaching me something that i don't even realize he's gonna use because i'm gonna need that 20 years down the road there's a purpose there is absolutely a purpose so that was that was a big part and um so anyway i didn't get drafted in the nba on draft day and uh but I got picked up as a free agent. I had an invitation to uh, three different NBA teams to try out as a free agent, which is kind of a better deal because most of the guys that get drafted in the second round of the NBA, they still have to try out for the team. The first rounders, they have guaranteed money. The second rounders, some of them don't even make the team. And so if you're a free agent, you can kind of pick which team that you're gonna try out for. So um, I went out to LA, I had a out with the Lakers and went to their free agent camp. I was with them for three weeks um, and then they cut me right before the season started, but I had already signed with a team in Europe, in Belgium. Okay. So that if I made the NBA, I was out of my European contract, but if I didn't, I had a team to go to. And so ended up playing uh, in Belgium. And then after that season, I played in Austria for a year. And then I played over here uh, in America for a team called Athletes in Action for about nine months. And then I went to Australia, which is where I played uh, I think four seasons in Australia and um, where was that at in australia so i played in a city called Wollongong try to say that try to spell it, it's even harder it's about <laughs> an hour south of sydney okay and then i played three seasons there and then i played uh in canberra which is the capital and then uh, met my wife over there i was gonna australia. say is that where you, is that yeah. where your wife is from it sure is yeah okay. she she's from there and we met in a church actually in, and and Oh, boy, I get to tell the story. She doesn't have the microphone, so (laughs) Uh, I was, (laughs) uh, she always hijacks this story from me. Love you, Rome. But I was the new person in church, and the church was fairly small at the time, and she was the person in charge of getting the names and numbers of all the new people going around the clipboard so they can follow them up. So I met my wife because she asked for my phone number, so that's how this all worked out. Um, You had a cell phone? Uh, did I have a, no I didn't have a cell phone it would have been my home <laughs> yeah, phone number yeah. yeah it's Australia so they've had a rotary, phone. rotary no, no they yeah. didn't have a rotary phone but it was a it was a push button phone it, it to send a, she just dialed the operator and she say, did yeah yeah Ethel can you get me uh, you know um, so that's that's how we met and ended up getting married and uh, so throughout yeah, your yeah, basketball career though faith yeah. was always
0: strong in you
1: yeah I, I you grew, grew up
0: in a Christian family I did I yeah. did
1: My dad gave his heart to Jesus when I was two years old, in 1973, and came home and just told the whole family, my life has been changed. You got to meet this Jesus that I just met. Mm -hmm. And so uh, my mom said, and we'll see. (laughs)
0: You Oh, so your mom wasn't Christian?
1: Not really. They had maybe grown up in church, but kind of nominal Christians, but never had really made a full faith commitment to Jesus. And she goes, okay. You know, that's an... I'm sorry, I'm going to... Yeah, yeah,
0: go for it. I want to unpack that a little bit, because that's probably something that a lot of people don't... um, This is a good conversation to have with somebody that maybe isn't spiritual or doesn't have faith, right? So, in my opinion, you're the expert on this, right? And that's why I have you here today. In my opinion, you can be the person that goes to church every day, you can pay your 10%, Mm -hmm. you can do everything you're supposed to do in the church, or at least, you know, post on Facebook that you went to church, right? Or whatever. Yeah. Uh, But in your heart, it could be something totally different. Yeah. You know, you haven't really, or you're afraid to talk about it outside of uh, church or social media or whatever, you know what I mean? Like, uh, so what is the difference there in accepting it in your heart and just going, just showing up, right? Sure. Sure. Where is the, where is the value? Is it
1: so? Right down the road from where we're meeting right now is mm. is a Mexican restaurant called the Jose Tequilas. Right, mm. great Mexican place. I can walk into Jose Tequilas. I can have dinner there. I can you know hang out for hours and hours and hours. But walking in Jose Tequilas doesn't make me Mexican. Right. It just means <laughs> I enjoyed yeah. Mexican food. Right. Exactly. And being around other Mexicans and non Mexicans and You know, coming into church doesn't make you a Christian. It -hmm. makes you a churchgoer. Mm -hmm. Sometimes people confuse the two things. They they think that if I go to church and if I try to do the right things, then God will somehow accept me. But God's not in the process of having a club that he wants you to join. He's Mm -hmm. not wanting to hire people. He's not wanting servants. Mm -hmm. God has sons and daughters. Mm -hmm. And so what he wants for us is not church attendance and not even a list of all the good things that we've done. In fact, he says all the good things you've done, no matter how good they are, in my face are like filthy rags. That's how far apart we actually are from being in this relationship with God. We can't do enough good things to outweigh the bad things in our life. We just can't. And so I, I, I see people that kind of spin their wheels trying to earn the love of God, earn the favor of God, or trying to be a part of the crew. I see mm-hmm. all these people that are clapping, raising their hands, having a good time. If I do that, I will also be a part of what's going here.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: God says, no, I'm in, I'm in the adoption business. He wants to welcome his sons and daughters home. Mm-hmm. We were created and designed to be in a relationship with God. Not as hirelings, but as sons and daughters. It's kind of like if you found out that you had um, a son that you didn't know about who was lost and all of a sudden you realized, oh my gosh, I have a son. What would you not do to go find that son and get that son back? Definitely. That's what he did for us. Although he knew we were sons, we were the ones who were lost, not, not him. And so he sent his son, Jesus, to get us back to in some ways buy us back mm-hmm. because we had sold ourselves to the world and God said I will give what's most precious to me to win you back. As a pastor, yeah. and we'll get back to your story, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, I, yeah. I,
0: this is this is good stuff here. So, as a pastor, do you encounter people that um, you know, or are there are times where you're thinking to yourself, man, like this person shows up to church every day, but I'm just not reaching them. Yeah. And and what can I what do you, what, how do you deal with that? And how yeah. do you, how do you try to not necessarily win them, but how do yeah. you, you know, try to reach them at, sure. on their level? Like, yeah. do, you, do you see people in your church that, you know, just come and don't really, or on the opposite spectrum, do mm-hmm. you see people that are completely, mm-hmm. you're like, wow, that guy gets it. Like Jesus is in that guy's heart, Yeah. you know, yeah. but they still don't go to church. Right? Yeah. So where are you at with that? Like as far as the yeah. delineation there?
1: I think sometimes it's, what, are you asking? Do we have people in our church who aren't Christians? Well, it's two questions. No, I'm it's, sorry. yeah, no, yeah. I, but I think it's it's. That was the first question. You're on the right track. And, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's it's me walking in the Mexican restaurant. It doesn't make me a Mexican because I'm sure. in the restaurant. Sure, sure. It doesn't make me a Christian just because I am in church. Mm-hmm. What makes me a Christian is that I have surrendered my heart to God. I've responded to His invitation of love to me to be a part of his family, to let him forgive me of my sins. And as the Bible says, cleanse me of all unrighteousness. So God takes all of our, not just the things that we've done wrong, but actually our imperfection. Mm -hmm. You and I do triathlon, right? We love to run. Mm -hmm. I've never had a perfect triathlon. I've never never had a perfect race. There's no such thing, right? Like you do the best you can, but... You know, the most frustrating things about these is there's always somebody faster, mm-hmm. you know, and, and or you can always have a bad day. The, the, it's the pursuit of perfection, but you never actually get it. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what it kind of like is trying to have a relationship with God based upon the things that we do. Mm-hmm. Being a Christian is responding to his invitation to make us perfect or righteous, as the Bible calls it. We can stand before God who is fully perfect, fully holy. Because he makes us perfect,
0: yeah, I think what's what's remarkable about what you said there and what you said earlier is that uh, you know you didn't know that you had this this uh this purpose in life early on, but you knew mm. it was going be you were going to be something of service right FBI yes. or yeah or senator yeah. or whatever yeah, but God had a plan for you he right and it is yeah. kind of a cliche thing to say yeah. like well God has a plan, and some people yeah. really dismiss that because mm. they're like
1: I don't hear that. Like I'm yeah. in control
0: of my own destiny. And in in some ways you are. It's Meek. a lot of little decisions you make that, you know, put you on a different trajectory in life, right? Yeah. But I I from my own personal experience and knowing your story, yeah. It uh, there are decisions you make that can get you on the right path. Yeah. But I don't think you have it all figured out and there is something higher mm. than you. Mm. Even if you're not a Christian. I mean, you and I are both Christians and we believe that mm-hmm. Jesus Christ and God is the reason, Mm -hmm. but like in my own life, I've seen the change in me as I accepted more of Jesus into my heart. Yeah, the ability to do good and reach people and help. And sure, you know what's interesting though is like I didn't expect anything in return, Uh and it's just like overabundance. Yeah, isn't that weird? It is. Yeah. Well, not weird, but isn't that great? Like (laughs) you know, you don't expect it, you don't plan for it. It is weird. And then what happens is you get rewarded. Yeah. Yeah,
1: anyway. It is weird. Do you know the word weird? If you look up the bo- the, the word weird in your dictionary, mm. the actual definition of weird is pertaining to the supernatural. Oh, cool. It just kind of got hijacked to mean something else. These Interesting. Days. Maybe not in modern technology, but when people say, oh, that's weird, what you're describing is pertaining to the supernatural. It's a supernatural occurrence that happens in your heart. Yeah. When you do exactly what you said, it, and that is surrender your heart to Jesus, you're not surrendering him your heart to someone who uh, wants bad things for you or wants to manipulate and control you, you're surrendering it to the one who created your heart to begin with, Yeah, right. who has invited you, who has demonstrated his love for you by sacrificing his own son so that you could be in a relationship with him. That's how much God demonstrates his love. You're responding to that love invitation. and When you do, there is a supernatural occurrence that happens in your heart in fact jesus said anyone who believes in me streams of living water will flow from within him Hmm. and he said by this he was talking about the holy spirit which would come later that when you make that conscious decision to give your heart to him because remember you do have the freedom of choice but you don't have the freedom of consequence oh interesting so i can go out and crash my car into somebody else i have a choice the freedom to choose that I don't have the freedom of the consequence I will have when the police show up. Right. So we can do what we want with our own soul, but we can't choose the consequences of those decisions.
0: Yeah, you can only control what's in the now. That's right. Yeah.
1: And so when you make the decision to surrender your heart to Him, the consequence is streams of living water that come out. Yeah. And that means there's enough refreshment and nourishment for you and for those around you. I thought it was pretty interesting. Uh, the last
0: week at my church or the last probably four weeks in my church, the pastor's been using this analogy of a rope. Yeah. And he's got the super long rope and it's a good visual aid because the rope goes off stage and so you can't even see how long it is, right? Uh-huh. It's just, you know, I don't know, white rope about an inch in diameter. And then he's got like three pieces of tape, you know, green, red, and blue. And the green represents your adolescence when you're still figuring out if you believe, or, mm-hmm. you know, if you're going to be a good person or a bad person or whatever that, yeah. you know, you're just still confused in life, right? Yeah. The red is like probably where I am, or maybe where at least where I was five or six years ago, where you're just painting in the red, like you're striving for success and just yeah. trying to kill it in career. And like everything yeah. else is going to go by the wayside, like spirituality, health. I mean, I like to think that I was trying to be healthy, but yeah, I don't know that I was necessarily a good human being. Right. Six, seven years ago. Yeah. Um, and then, like, your focus is, at a certain point, it's on your retirement and mm. how you're going to live mm. in your retirement, yeah. right? So your retirement's from 75, 65, whenever you decide to retire until you die. Right. Okay, so you focused on mm. two inches of this rope that's mm. 3,000 feet mm. in length, right? And so, yeah. you know, it's kind of like you were saying, you can control the now. Right? Or you have control over if you decide to go wreck a car to somebody or whatever, but not the consequences of those decisions, yeah. right? Yeah. And that's that's powerful is that, and it's hard to grasp when you yeah. have a limited mindset. You do. Of
1: how eternity actually works. The Bible actually says that God sets eternity in the hearts of man. Expand on that. Well, that's what makes us different from the animals. Oh, because we have a self-awareness. Your self-awareness of yeah. eternity. God. Animal. My dog's not thinking about where he's going to spend eternity. That's right. He's thinking about whether I'm going to pet him, whether I'm going to feed him.
0: Or when they're going to go poop. Or when they're going to go poop. That's exactly (laughs) right. Right.
1: But God put eternity in the hearts of men. And so it's like he's pre-wired us to have a hunger for the supernatural. Yeah. So that supernatural occurrence that you you talked about that happens in your heart when you surrender your heart to him. We're already pre-wired to pursue that. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Now, people fill that pursuit with other things. Or they take a misdirection for that or... You know, they, they, they try several different things before they actually find that complete fulfillment. But because we have eternity in our hearts, it creates a hunger for the supernatural. Now, that hunger as a Christian, we know and believe that that's only found in a relationship with God mm-hmm. through Jesus Christ. That's the only satisfying of that hunger. And when we respond to his invitation of love, we actually become a part of his family. So now I'm Mexican. Now I come into the restaurant, I'm like, I'm Mexican. I'm officially Mexican, you know, and, and it's, it makes all the difference in the world. Sometimes you can walk into a church and feel like, why is everybody else here? They're on something, but I'm not, I'm not in this. And, and actually, that can be a pretty lonely feeling. So I do feel for people that come into a, a church like ours sometimes. And yet I know it can feel pretty alienating. One of the things that the early church, right, when the church first got established in the first century, one of the things that they were known by was their incredible love for each other. Mm -hmm. Because the known world at the time really didn't exist like that. Right, Everyone, not much different to today, is kind of in it for themselves. What can I get out of this life in this short time period that I have? And yet the Christians were being tremendously persecuted, but they looked after each other. And so when there was a a famine, they shared their food. Who shares food in a famine? When people were sick with a plague, it was the church that looked after these plague victims and kind of became a hospice for people who were dying. And the rest of the world's going, no, 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 no. We we put those on the side of the road and keep going. Mm -hmm. And they go, no, bring them here. And so the rest of the world looked at this culture of love that the church had and went, I don't know what that is, but I'm definitely not that. Right. And so sometimes when, now you're faced with that choice, right? Mm -hmm. Do I reject that and keep living life the way I'm living? Or do I respond to that same invitation of love to me personally to be a part of what's happening there? And when people make the choice to reject God's invitation of love, I love Dr. Phil's expression. How's that working out for
0: you? Yeah, right. It's one of my favorite expressions. Dr. Phil, uh, I want to get back to your story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. uh, But Dr. Phil, I thought he was so corny. uh, And then I started listening to his podcast maybe about six months Uh ago. And I'm like, oh, man, this guy's like a professional. Like, he gets it. He is. He is. I mean, if if you go to have like a heart surgery or Uh brain surgery, you want a guy that's yeah gone to school for that right
1: that's right dr phil has gone to school for that yeah he's he's got some stuff figured out but But, uh that's that's talking about the fruit of your life when i say how's that working out for you the bible says you can judge a tree by its fruit Mm -hmm. so what i mean by that is okay you've chosen to reject god what's the fruit of your life been oh right have you actually exhibited the kind of fruit that can not only feed you but feed others But yet the Bible talks about the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Those are the things that come about. That's the fruit that comes from a surrendered heart. I listened to to your sermon about that. Yeah. Yeah, that was a good one. And and that's what I want to bear in my life. Mm. That's what I want to give to my family and to my friends. And in the early church, that's what people noticed is you've got all of the outward pressure in the world But what's coming out of you is living water, is love, and you have all these incredible characteristics. They wouldn't know to call it a fruit of the Spirit. But it doesn't make sense. It doesn't compute. It doesn't add up. Yeah, two plus two is five. Yes, yeah. Two plus two is whatever God says it is, right? That's right. right. And and so you're faced with that choice. Do I enter in and submit to that relationship with Him? or, Or do I just come in but not actually ever surrender my heart? that's probably the hardest thing for me to see is they get into a culture of what what we call revival people being revived from the inside which only happens when we surrender every area of our heart to god is when they come into that culture of it but yet they keep these places in their hearts closed off to him Hmm. and 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 they feel the tug they feel god going hey i want to deal with that thing that's in your heart that's in your past that's in your thinking that's you know, Whatever it is, that those dark places in our hearts, that everybody's got them. To whatever degree it is and whatever the topic is, everyone has oh, yeah. a dark place in their heart. And when you become a son of God, when you realize that you're a son of God and you surrender your heart to him, he begins to put his finger on things and says, I want to deal with that dark place that you haven't wanted to go to. We're going to shine some light on it. We're going to shine some light on it. But yeah. the reason I'm doing it is because I want to remove that mm. and fill it with me. Mm -hmm. and some people have been so used to guarding that dark place or afraid that if I open this up, I can't close it back up again, Mm -hmm. that they've become more familiar with keeping it than they are with letting God deal with it because my life may be a mess, but it's a familiar mess.
0: Right. Oh, you just
1: described 2000. Yeah, yeah seven to 2012
0: for me or something yeah I yeah, mean, yeah 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 I mean, join the club
1: me too man yeah, right. I, this might be a mess but i know how to manage my mess exactly god doesn't want us to manage it he put wants up these walls these barriers oh, these masks great you know wear this mask yeah it's great and yet he wants to serve it in eviction notice and we want to manage it and so that's the hard part of seeing people in church that have not yet crossed that threshold because then if you're in a revival culture Mm -hmm. it gets uncomfortable all right not because the leaders are standing up saying you have to let god into your heart it's because the holy spirit himself is probing and you feel that touch and you're like oh i don't want to deal with that right now and so now you're faced with do i let him in or do i leave and we've had people that have left our church because not nothing that we've said, they just go, I just can't stay here anymore. And for a while, and you, I'm a They're pastor. They're probably battling guilt, right? Well, I'm a pastor. I want everybody to stay. You know what I mean? It's it's yeah. <laughs> who grows a church and goes on. I want to lose people. Now you have everybody, you know, you want people to stay, but I'm not going to compromise this culture of revival that um, it's, it's God doing this. And, I had one of our key leaders came in one day. He told me this. He goes, I knew the moment I set foot in this church. And I'm just, I'm talking about Seashore, but this is any type of revival culture church that I'm talking about. He said, I had a choice. I could either humble myself or I could leave. Yeah, right. And I went, ooh. There's a part of me, the pastor side of me, that's like, I hope he didn't think he had to leave. But he goes, no, I I." chose to humble myself. By humble, he means I opened up my heart. Well, I think a lot of us are driven by our own egos. Sure.
0: And I don't mean ego in the sense of, uh, (laughs) you know, I'm muscular, yeah. or strong. or um, I got this. Yeah. It's more about yeah. like we're driven by what we think it's all about us. Yes. You know what I mean? Like, yes. not, not like, okay, I'm a millionaire. Or I'm strong or I'm an Ironman triathlete with yeah. all these medals. Or you yeah. saw the deer trophies that I have on the wall. Like, Hey,
1: look, you got some amazing deer trophies. Down <laughs> I'll send you garage. home with some venison. Man. That, yeah. For really? sure. Yeah, for sure. Oh man. Yeah, definitely. My um, wife wanted me to start hunting just because I fed her venison once. She loves venison. So I got you, man. I'll send you out with some. You for sure. rock.
0: But so, you know, <laughs> I don't mean that type of ego. Yes. I mean the ego in, the, in philosophy of, you know, it's about us. Yeah. And this is why I think this podcast will resonate. Even if you're not a Christian, this will resonate with a person that's in yeah. a dark place because it's not about you. Yeah. It's not about you. It's not about what you're going through. Yeah. It's not about your sins. It's not mm-hmm. about your struggle. It's not about your uh, addiction, your eating disorder, your infidelity, mm-hmm. your debt. I've got guys. I, I've, if you've listened to any of my podcast, like I've been completely honest about yeah. every fault yeah. I've ever had in the world. Yeah. But you know what? I had to exactly like the key leader in your church said. Yeah. I had to humble myself. Yeah. And God has a plan. Uh, given your purpose, whatever yeah. that is for you, everybody's story is different. But what I've noticed right. is once I started sharing my story, yeah, it's not unique at all. Yeah. It's not yeah it's every man's story it's every person's story yeah we all struggle we all have issues you just have to let go of your ego yeah realize that it's bigger than you and there is something higher than you guiding you in the direction if you'll listen to those things you bet and pay attention to those you know yeah those signs and i personally believe that yeah jesus christ coming into my heart yeah i mean it saved my life That and my wife saved my life. Yeah. Like we said off show, I mean, I I would not be here right now if it weren't for Jesus Christ in my life and my wife. Yeah. You know? It's awesome, Jeff.
1: I I have really appreciated hearing not just your story, but your willingness to be vulnerable in in a lot of areas in your life that a lot of guys aren't. We're really good at covering stuff. We're really good at fake it till you make it. Oh, yeah.
0: Like I was sexually abused, so now I'm not a man. Yeah. No, yeah. no, man. Like, yeah. I'm, I'm probably one of the manliest men you'll ever meet. Man. Yeah. That's a part of my past. You know, it's not who yeah. I am. And that's something that happened. It's not no. who you are. Yeah. I think we get hung up on that a lot, too. It's like, okay, this snapshot in time was something that I did or something yeah. that someone did to me or a choice that I made. That's not who you are. Yeah. That was a snapshot in time. And I don't think God sees us in that way. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I do. God doesn't see you for your you know your past or your yeah. your previous sins he sees you for who you are now and how you show up every
1: day yeah. with good intentions can, can i go there with this yeah so you talked about am i a man you know can i not be a man cuz i was sexually abused mm-hmm. you know I, look i we both know guys that are just hard man they're you know iron man and you know incredible athletes mm-hmm. you know team guys all kinds of stuff I was just going to say pipe hitters yeah pipe hitters that's a good that's a good phrase that's all exterior stuff Mm -hmm. what makes you a man is not that you are this incredible hard athlete and you're able to endure pain that doesn't make you a man the fact that you are a man means that you can do that what makes you a man is you have discovered your identity as a son Mm. So, our fathers give us, are supposed to give us three things. Identity, protection, and provision. Those are the three things that every... I've, I've got two boys and a daughter. That's like
0: uh, Maslow's hierarchy of needs. These yep. are like the lower level needs, right? Like, yeah. you know, safety, security, sure. food. Sure. Right. Yeah.
1: There's certain things we get from our mothers, certain things we get from our siblings and friends, but from our fathers, we get identity, protection, and provision. That's what dads are supposed to do. Now, what happens when you have a dad that gave none of those three or actually gave the opposite of those rather than protecting he abused? You're in a dilemma. How can I provide and protect for my own kids when I did not receive that from my own father? Oh, yeah. That's a difficult thing because as much as you say, I won't do what was done to me, Mm -hmm. that's all you know. Right. And then you perpetuate the stereotype that the abused becomes the abuser. Mm-hmm. But God interrupts that cycle because our identity does not just come from our earthly father. It comes from our heavenly father, yeah. from God the father. So I see a lot of people that actually have a hard time identifying God as a provider and a protector when their earthly father did the opposite. That's deep. Yeah. But God interrupts this whole process. He can circumvent all of the things we thought we missed out on. And you look at other people and you go, that guy's got a dad that loves him. Mm. I didn't have that. I'm damaged goods. I'll try my best, but I'll never be like that. And the father, the heavenly- That's a self-fulfilling process. It absolutely is. But the heavenly father says, no, no, no. I know the plans I have for you, Jeff, not to harm you, but to prosper you and to give you hope in a future. And I have created you in my image. And I'm going to begin to show you what this image is. You don't have to get this image from other people. You don't have to get this image from your own background. But me, your Heavenly Father, will show you. And I'll speak to you in a way that you can understand, that you can hear me. And I'm going to show you who you are. And it is a powerful process. So now, your identity, my identity as a man, doesn't come from... (laughs) the myriad of triathlon videos I watch on TV and go, I want to be Jan Mm Frodeno. It's not trying to be somebody (laughs) else. It's not by the things that I do or the things that I accomplish or the things that I don't do. I'm not an abuser, so I'm a provider. No, it comes from my identity that I get from my Heavenly Father. Mm -hmm. And so now I can go run marathons and triathlons, not to prove anything, but because I know who I am. And boy, is it different when you approach life knowing who you are rather than approaching life trying to get it to tell you who you are
0: yeah and uh, that's a lot of good stuff you just said there Uh, and I think too this was kind of on my mind of things to ask you is like uh, we can go there too uh, the naysayers right the people that may say uh, okay you're in it for this reason or another or you know people have uh, they don't want to be a Bible thumper, sure, right? Or they don't want to be, they don't want to be, uh, they don't want to fit into this category or whatever. Like, what are your thoughts for mm. people that uh, have this? So, in in reference to you saying, like, I'm doing this because I know who I am. Yeah, like I've done the work, I've done the research. Yeah, I've I've seen it work in my life. I know that it's brought me out of a dark place. And yes, yeah. it it there's and this is another question. That, you know, a yeah. lot of people will say, okay, prove it. Mm. right prove it prove God is real right prove Jesus is real yeah prove it to me yeah what do you say to the naysayers or the people that judge you for your belief because you say you know I mean I'm with you I'm, I'm just playing devil's yeah. advocate yeah. yeah 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 you know because I get this every once in a while mm. you know okay I know who I am I know what's working for me I know what's in my heart mm. I know what and I strayed from God for a yeah. lot of years you know True. I was raised Christian yeah uh but not really. Yeah. I was raised by people that went to church or sang in the choir, but we didn't talk about God. We didn't have conversations like this. Yeah. And so I had to find God on my own and Mm. it was later in life that I really accepted Jesus into my heart. Yep. But what do you say to the people that say, okay, prove it. Hmm. You know who you are. You know God's working for you. Okay, prove it. Yeah. Yeah.
1: What do you say to the naysayers? Prove he's not. Expound on that. So... People are saying, prove that he's real. I'm saying, prove that he's not. Oh, right. When you just look at... Okay, there's a whole lot of different roads you can go down this path. Mm -hmm. You look at creation, and you're trying to convince me there's no intelligent design behind all of this. Mm -hmm. That's a difficult one to... It 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 takes more faith for me to believe there was no intelligent design than to believe that there is. Mm -hmm. So just from an odd standpoint... That would be one thing. But God doesn't just want to be acknowledged. He wants to be experienced. Mm. So we, we, we talk sometimes about, <clears throat> in our church, about how uh, you know the naysayers, Paul actually writes in 2 Corinthians 10 that we've been given divine weapons to demolish strongholds and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. In other words, God has given us things to help answer some of those questions. Prove to me that there is a God. Well, the knowledge of God that the Apostle Paul is writing about is not the head's knowledge of God. Like I use this example about the difference between these things. I know every statistic about Michael Jordan you could imagine, like all the rings that he's got, all the MVPs he's got. I know everything about this God, but I don't know him. Mm-hmm. And so the difference between when we talk about the knowledge of God, it's not the head knowledge of him, the, 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 the mental ascent to it. It's the experiential knowledge. Like I know my wife, right? That's what God's talking about. In order to really experience God, it requires that kind of knowledge, which requires faith. So the way that we experience him is through faith. So there's always going to be an element of faith that's required in order us to for us to even perceive God. Now, hey, there's been plenty of times you read reading the Bible where God just shows up on the scene to people that were not pursuing him at all. Mm-hmm. And God just shows up. This guy named Balaam in the Old Testament, his donkey speaks to him. Like God speaks to him through his donkey. Mm-hmm. That's pretty crazy, you know? And, yeah. and there are moments a lot like that. But I think for the average Joe, in this search of, I just actually want to know truth and I want to know that this God is real. There's an element of faith that's involved in that. And we say faith is spelled R-I-S-K, risk. You know, it takes an element of risk to mm-hmm. believe in order to see it. I think a lot of people would say, if I see it, I'll believe it. Mm-hmm. They even said that in Jesus's time. They, they told Jesus, hey, do some more tricks for us. Do some more miracles. If you perform a really big miracle, we'll believe Mm-hmm. And Jesus tells them, even if you see someone raised from the dead, you still won't believe. Because you have to believe to see, mm-hmm. not see to believe. I describe it, and I definitely
0: do not have the wealth of knowledge that you do in the Bible. Like I've read the Bible, but I don't know that I have studied the Bible in the way that you have right. in order to be able to say this to a listener that I'm an expert. So I want to get your opinion yeah. on what I'm about to say. Not an expert, but a believer. Yeah, I describe it as a relationship. Yes, you know it's a it's relationship. Exactly what it is. So, my dad, my mom, yeah. my wife, my kids—these are all relationships. Yes. And so I just have to have faith. I mean, you know my wife, hmm? Clayton. I love my wife. Like that's good. I'm getting teary. I just think about my wife. Yeah. I talk about her every single podcast because I good. love her so much, and I know that God brought her into my life. Yeah. Like I know that. Yeah. But. I just have to have faith that she has my best intentions and that when she leaves the door, you know, she's not cheating on me. She's not doing something to dishonor me. Yeah. I can sit here and say all day, you know, I could I could put things in my mind about what she could potentially be doing to harm me or my family or our household or whatever. Yeah. I don't do that. Yeah. It's a relationship. Yep. I have faith. I have faith that my kids are going to do well in school because they want to be good kids. Yeah. 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 I, have, I have a relationship with God that I just have to believe that mm. God has my well-being mm. in,
1: in, in His intentions, right? I mean, yeah, yeah. it does. It requires an, an element of faith, man. It really does. And uh, I, <laughs> you, you call me a Bible expert. I appreciate that. I'm not. That's my wife. I'm married to the Bible expert. <laughs> yeah. I'm a surrender expert. Like mm. I... I want to be an expert at surrendering every area of my heart to him and anybody can be an expert in that because I don't as much as I pursue knowledge and I want to know the Bible and I do I study it and I want to make sure that I'm you know understanding what God's Word is for me and for us Uh, and and teaching is kind of what my primary role is in our in our church but i want to be an expert in the relational stuff kind of like you like you yeah. you're kind of a relationship expert and mm-hmm. you understand how relationships work and and that's the way that's what god actually desires with us god, god's not looking for a bunch of robots to do his will if mm. if he was then he would have never given us free will to be free grateful. will yeah he wants us to choose to love him to respond to his invitation of love because he wants to be in a relationship with us I'll be honest, I don't get it. If I was God, I would probably not want to be in a relationship with me. I'd be busy creating universes and stuff. I can't imagine that there's anything yeah. about me that God wants to be in a relationship with. And uh, not as a self-deprecating thing. I'm just like, if I was God, I don't know that I'd be worrying about these humans, you know?
0: The ROI is not there. No, yeah. no.
1: But yet, it's what He wants. And I guess sometimes I have a hard time getting my head around that. And And maybe that's what keeps me from entering in to that relationship time and time again. But it's what heaven's going to look like. That, I, I told you how he put eternity in our hearts. He doesn't want this relationship with us just while we're here on this earth. He wants this for eternity. I'm never not going to be a son. There's right. no point that I retire from sonship. Right. That's eternity. Yeah. And that's what I'm created for. That's what you're created for. And everybody listening today, God's created you for an eternal relationship with him as a son or a daughter. That's his desire for us. And so... I just enjoy being his kid. Yeah. Not trying to earn it. You know, my kids don't run around the house trying to earn their sonship with me. Yeah, that's powerful, yeah. Even when they mess up, they're still my son.
0: You know, I was having a conversation, I won't share his name here, mm-hmm. but a friend of mine that I've been bringing to church, he's going through a hard time mm-hmm. right now. Mm-hmm. And, uh, he was sitting at this table where I'm sitting right now mm-hmm. and Heidi was sitting there and I, I just looked over at him and I said, hey man, you deserve love. Wow. Like, Wow. It just hit me. I was like, you deserve to be loved, you know, and yeah. maybe you thought that was going to be your ex-wife, but yeah. And I've been bringing him to church too, and that's been working for him, but uh or it's been helping him cope, but yeah. Man, he just broke down crying as soon as I said that. Wow. Like, I think a lot of us don't feel like we deserve that love, and yeah. that's what that's what helped me was my wife's unconditional love, which eventually let me feel that grace for myself. Yeah. Where I was able to say, okay, God loves me in a real way, much like this relationship or a relationship I should have with myself, Yeah, right? You deserve to be loved by God. Yes. Uh, And I think a lot of us don't, or it's easy to forget that, right? I don't know. But you deserve to be loved, man. You do. You (laughs) really do. I think a lot of us don't feel that way. A lot of us feel like, you know... I'm a piece of crap because I did this or that or the other thing, and I feel all this guilt, yeah, shame, remorse. Yeah, you deserve to be loved. He, he loves us
1: anyway. Yeah, <laughs> yeah right. That, that blows my mind. And then I'll tell you, having kids. So I've got a 16 year old, uh, a 15 year old, and a and a 12 year old. And having kids, man, I know you got kids. It, it it really helped me understand the heart of my heavenly Father. Oh yeah. Remember, when my daughter was born. I, my son was born, my first son, and I'm like, oh yeah, like he's here's another Ritter male to carry on the name. of This <laughs> in, immense source of
0: pride. You're measuring his uh, his arm oh, span man, to man, make sure he can play man. basketball. Well, he's
1: six six and he plays <laughs> soccer. God bless him. I love <laughs> soccer. I love it, and he's really good at basketball. But he he says, look, Dad, I got to find my own path. And I was like, oh, all right, it's cool. I respect that. Yeah. Um, just go get a scholarship. That's all I ask. Yeah. But I remember he was born and I held him and I just went, This immense feeling of pride of I'm just he hasn't done a thing. I just am so proud of him already. Like, well done, you came out. Well done. You're breathing. You breathe. You're yeah, breathing. Yeah. I'm so proud of you. And then my daughter was born and I held her in my arms and this is my thought. I will literally kill anyone that tries to do anything to harm this girl. It's a strange feeling. It I is I just with a girl, I just went I'll kill him. man. I, I don't care. Like I, nothing will stop me from keeping this girl from harm. And I was like, wow, that's like two parts of our father's personality. He's so proud of us, mm-hmm. and he will protect. not let any harm. you yeah. will protect. It's the identity. It's the protection. It's the provision. I just and, and God's going. Can you see that this is what I've done with you? And I was like, okay, I think I get it now. You know. Yeah. Um, but living with that realization is what makes me the father I want to be what makes me the father I want to be is not because I know the Bible left and right it's not because I had a great dad that helps but it's because I've gotten my identity well that that, let's
0: bring it back to your story for a minute so um the question I would ask so your your dad came home when you were two and and he found Jesus right so you grew up in a Christian home I did was there a point in your life where you pivoted and said okay first of all was there a point where you said I'm Horrible at asking two-part questions, but <laughs> was there a part in your life where you said, okay, I'm going to rebel from this? Or did you always <laughs> stay the path? And then if that was the case at a certain yeah. point, did you say, was there a point when it actually clicked with you? Yeah. Because I hear people say, like, I remember, like, uh, I was going to a church in a uh, deep a while back and mm-hmm. the pastor was like, I remember exactly where I was. It was 1984. Yeah. I was in a barracks room. I was a boiler tech. And, yeah. you know, I just got on my knees and prayed to God. Yeah. I can't tell you a date and time. I don't know. You know, and I think there wasn't a day where I was yeah. like, "Okay, this is the day." Yeah, it was just gradually. And today, yeah. sitting here now, yeah, I feel God working in my life. Yeah, you know what I mean. I can't name a time sure, when, sure, or a time that I strayed. Right. So, how did that work for you? I, I used to
1: have friends that would share their testimony, which just means their story of what their life was like before they met Jesus, how they met Him, what their life was like afterwards. And I remember guys would had grown up in church all their life and had really never had one of those moments you talked about and they yeah. felt so guilty they would make up stories An aha moment yeah it would no yeah. no like the but they made up my heart. life was so bad i think i killed somebody when i was 6 years old and i'm like dude you're lying you grew <laughs> up in church you did not do any of that stuff so it's funny but i kind of did have a little bit of that moment so there's a couple significant moments that i remember in my own journey with with god and when i was 4 years old my sister came into my room and told me about how to give my heart to Jesus and and uh, she's five years older than me we prayed in my room that's the day I became a Christian I'd made a genuine full faith commitment to follow Jesus at four years old and wow. and and just loved him all the way through and then you know I got to that age of about 15 and I'm like okay let's see what the world's got to offer this, mm-hmm. this church thing is you know the church I was in I loved it as a kid but when I got into high school age it really wasn't much there for me and um, you know, I started to have another circle of friends and I'm like, they were partying and stuff. I said, all right, let me go, let me go check this out. And so I kind of, uh, from 15 till gosh, probably 19, um, was going out partying Friday. I was in church every Sunday morning, but I was partying on Friday and Saturday night, man. We would go around, you know, drinking, messing around, doing all kinds of crazy stuff. And, uh, I remember, <laughs> I remember, Sitting in church, taking communion, you know the little plastic communion cups? I don't mm. know if you had those in your church. Sitting there taking communion and looking at this thing and thinking three hours ago this was tequila. Now it's the blood of Jesus. This is... <laughs> and just feeling this little bit conflicted Guilt. thing of yeah. like, man, what's going on here? But yet I knew there was this part of my heart that still belonged to God. And so there was a significant moment for me. I remember uh, I started having friends that were getting into drugs a bit more. Uh, not just smoking weed, but they were doing cocaine, selling cocaine. It's kind of before the crack academic hit. I never did any drugs in my life, but I was always there when they were, when they were. And I remember being with one friend of mine and he was I didn't realize he was doing this, but I was in the car and he was doing a cocaine deal with another high school kid who was giving him his gold jewelry so that he could get this cocaine. This kid was so addicted to it at like sixteen. That's the devil's drug. Yeah. And I mean that's a literal nickname. I remember sitting in that car and I, I now I recognize that this was the voice of the Holy Spirit in my life, but I didn't know it at the time. And I just heard this voice just say, That'll be you if things don't change. Mm hmm. Like, you can't hang around this for, t- even though you're not doing drugs, and you can say, I used to make the excuse, I, I drink like a fish, but as long as I don't do drugs, I'm okay, you know mm. what I mean? And it's like, well, what's, what's the point in that? And-
0: uh, Well, and you are who you surround
1: yourself with. You are, you yeah. are, and after a while, you know, I'm, I, oh man, how deep you wanna go with this? So I remember I came home, and my mom goes, I'm concerned about your friends, I'm concerned they might be a bad influence on you. And I looked at my mom and I said, maybe I'm the bad influence on them. Oh, wow. I don't know why I said that, but she was like, I think that put her in her prayer closet for a year so. <laughs> you never mess with a praying mom.
0: I was going to say, we love you, mom. Yeah. She, Sorry about that. She knows this. Hey, we know. all sat
1: around the kitchen table one night and my brother and sister started telling their stories of messing around. And I said, like, yeah, started telling mine. She goes, no, you stop. You're too young. It's not your time. So, <laughs> Mama, it's my time. It's my time. <laughs> so anyway, we, uh, I remember I used to work this basketball This was the moment that all kind of hit the fan for me because what happened is I was leading a different lifestyle on Friday and Saturday than I was on Sunday morning, still going to church, but hanging out Friday, Saturday night. And I started to get a little bit confused as to which one of these is really me because mm-hmm. you can't be two different people, can you? Mm-hmm. And so it all kind of came to a head for me when I, I used to work this basketball camp in the summertime And as part of at the end of the basketball camp, I would always share my story, my testimony with these young campers. I tell them about how I love Jesus and I gave my heart to him. And when I play, I play to honor him. And, you know, you can know him, too. And it was just something that I did all the time. I genuinely meant it. But I left that camp on Friday, drove straight to 7-Eleven to pick up a case of beer to go to a party that night. Mm -hmm. As I'm Walking out of the 7 a kid that I'd just spoken to oh, no. was walking in. That was a case of beer. I'm not saying that that was the worst sin anybody's ever committed. But for me, those two worlds suddenly collided. Mm-hmm. So see, I, I've been really good at keeping those two worlds separate for a long time. Like I can, this, as long as this doesn't know about this, I'm good. And God just said, no, no, no. These two things will collide at some point in time. And the, the author, uh, Nathaniel Hawthorne, wrote in a book, um, One cannot live two lives for too long without becoming confused as to which one is the true. Hmm. Yeah. And that line had stuck with me because I just went, I don't really know who I am. Yeah, I, I wasn't a super bad guy. You know what I mean? Like, I wasn't breaking into people's homes and that sort of stuff. But I realized that my life was at a crossroads. And I know which way this road ends up, and I know which way this road ends up. And if I keep following the path that I'm on, this party lifestyle, the Bible says it leads to death and destruction. But if I commit my life to God, Mm -hmm. I know that it's a path that leads to life. I knew that, but I kept trying to straddle the fence, and I realized I can't straddle this fence anymore. So I drove an old 86 Ford Bronco. That's what I had. Man, I missed that truck. And we I remember, I was, some money now, yeah. oh man. And now I, I pulled into a parking lot, a dark parking lot by myself right after leaving that 7 Eleven. And Jeff, I bawled my eyes out and I just said, God, you've got all of me, all of me. I am I'm not going to ride this fence anymore. I am leaving this life behind. And you have my whole heart, full, whole heart. That was a very significant moment for me. Mm hmm. And that's when I think I went from the Christian who did the right things and prayed a prayer. Like I used to think, if I pray the Lord's prayer every night, I'm good. Oh yeah. Like it somehow was some my lucky rabbit's foot, my token that. Kept I did me that safe. a lot on deployments. Yeah. Uh, yeah.
0: Like I would pray these inauthentic prayers. Yeah. Uh, where I had them like memorized. It wasn't yeah. the Lord's prayer, but I had a prayer that I would say, and I would yep. just when I was on deployment, I would be like. Yeah. This will protect me through the plane yeah that's right instead of like actually just having a conversation with God yes right? yeah yes, yeah, I remember
1: I drove home and my mom didn't really know any of this stuff she's not dumb, but I remember I came home, I walked in the door and she's in the living room waiting up for me as she normally did, and I just put my arms around her and I'm bald i'm not I was not a crying guy i didn't i I grew up in that household where men don't cry, you know mm. what I mean like it's not stoic, not, not that it wasn't allowed but yeah, it had less to do with my father than it did with the athletic background that I was in. You know, the environment. Yeah. The environment. It was a different right. time, too. Yeah, like, it, really honestly, was. Yeah. it really was. And my, arm, my mom puts her arms around me. She doesn't say a word. She just goes, I love God. Mm. She knew. But she didn't know the details, but she knew what an encounter with God looked like. So, Jeff, what I pray for people is to have that kind of an encounter. Mm -hmm. that God shows up that powerfully in people's lives not that their whole life has to come to this massive crash intersection but that they can have an encounter with God so powerful that it changes the course of their life forever and it did for me I I went back I was in college at the time actually and uh, went back and finished my senior year and my teammates were like who are you you're a completely different person but here's the thing I had the best year ever yeah. Cuz I've seen seen you talked about the Bible thumpers. I never I'm sure you've seen guys in the military that thump Bibles, but they're not doing a job. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like they're they're not in the teams it would be why are the Bible thumpers the worst operators, you know, and and some of these guys that I was dealing with and I'm like, "Man, if you're going to tell somebody about Jesus, you also got to put out, man. You got <laughs> yeah, to, right. you know what I mean? Like, you, yeah. you're actually not helping the, the cause here. You know what I mean? Yeah, you like, need to be extraordinary. You do, yeah. you do. And so,
0: Or at least above ordinary. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: And so I realized that without this confusion in my life about which way my life was going to go, man, it really helped me focus. from an athletic standpoint to focus just yeah. right. And so it led to potentially making an NBA team and a, and a professional career that lasted... 7 years. So I was I was grateful for that moment that I had because it not only set the course of my life but it helped me focus on what it was I was supposed to be doing.
0: But then you found something else you need to be doing, which yeah. was being a pastor. So you met your wife in Australia. We did. And yeah. then how did you guys end up back here? How did you get called back to seashore?
1: So in in the process of uh in my off season, I'd spend my off seasons here and we actually found another church here uh, in Virginia Beach that was about the size that seashore is now and just really felt again, that call from God of, Hey, this is actually where I've I've called you. is to be a part of this church and to help it grow and, Mm -hmm. and not just help it grow, but actually the specific thing he said is I want you to serve this couple that's leading this church and to be a son of the house. Those were the two things. And I'm like, okay, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll do that. And so I went back for another season in, in Australia, um, Another basketball season. Another basketball okay. season. Yeah, I just there's a whole funny story behind that. I don't know how far you want to go into how I ended up on that team. Uh, we'll get. We'll probably get back to that. But all I could think about was coming back and being a part of this this little church in Virginia Beach. And so we, I retired. I called my agent, and said, "Hey, I'm done." He goes, "What do you mean?" I was like, "I'm I'm actually done. I'm I'm retiring. I'm a, I'm gonna I think I'm gonna be a pastor." Actually, it wasn't even a pastor at the time. It was just to retire to volunteer at a church like i'm i'm quitting i'll find a job doing something else you know with my political science degree because everybody wants to hire a political scientist yeah right (laughs) home depot's hiring home depot's (laughs) hiring yeah uh and so i was like i just want to help i know that this is where i'm called that there's no job opportunity there's no offer i just know this is where i'm supposed to be he goes all right cool um and so that began a path of an internship that lasted about two years and then we were on staff for 16 years in this church and then uh uh, about three, four years ago, God said, "Hey, I've actually, I've got this other thing for you. This thing that had been burning in our hearts, my wife and I's hearts, of revival and reformation in the church." And, and we couldn't figure out, God, what is this thing that we cannot deny? This is you doing this in our hearts, but yet it's it's different to where we are. And what's going to happen here? And then He goes, "It's a church. It's actually a new work that I want you to begin." I was like, "All right, cool." And not really knowing where that was going to be or where, you know, I said, well, we'll go anywhere. Yet I'm leaving something that's been very successful by many standards. It's been, God has used us and, and has has done great work, but yet I'm leaving something that is kind of that job that you sail into the sunset with. Like I, I was in a pretty good place and yet God's going, I want you to leave everything and start with nothing but me. And a promise and i was like okay was there a
0: thought that mm. you could uh, so like the church that i go to yeah uh it's called essential church yeah uh, yeah pastor's a friend of mine mm-hmm. um and there th- this leads into another question i wrote down to yeah, ask yeah. you but um i think what they're it's called essential for a reason you know they're just trying to strip anything away that would keep you from getting to god that's right? great I so like i got tattoos um, uh, yeah. I typically don't carry a handgun in church, but, you know.
1: Typically. I like that. Typically. It, well, hey, man. A lot of times I, I haven't had
0: a conversation with Steve. I should, because would be a good you guy. You might want to ask him that question. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But uh, he might be okay with it. I was going to say. He but might... you might want to have the yeah, conversation. Right.
1: <laughs> but. Looking out for you, Pastor Steve, there.
0: Yeah. I'm looking out for them.
1: But... <laughs> no, I know you. I'm just yeah. teasing.
0: Uh But anyway. um Yeah you know there there so in other words a guy like me can walk in there yeah, without any that's great you don't need to wear a suit and tie and yeah. i'm not i'm yeah. not against anybody that feels that need to dress yeah. up or whatever but so anyway he was able to uh, or that church was able to kind of form their own so it was the idea to start something in your own theme model design Yeah, or, you know you know what i mean like i do know what
1: you mean so we didn't know what this was going to look like necessarily right. or even whether it would be a church to be honest we're going I know there's a couple of things that God has called us to do. The first one was to teach people how to hear from God for themselves. Mm. A lot of people, they listen to great podcasts, they, they go to church, they want the, the message to be taught to them by the pastor, but they don't actually know how to hear from God for themselves. Um, you need both. You need great teaching, and you need the ability to hear from God from yourselves. They, mm. One doesn't replace the other. Uh, and so that was a big theme of what we were doing and, and that prayer and worship were kind of going to be pillars of what this movement was going to be based on. But I I didn't know if it was a, a, a building. I didn't know if it was here. I didn't know any of that stuff. I just know, I only know what God's told me to do. Mm-hmm. So we gathered, uh, it started with just one other family that didn't have a church. Actually, you know what it started with? So every Friday night, we would have family nights. Mm-hmm. Just our my family would have, okay, we're going to, cook dinner, watch a movie, go to seashore, and hike the trails or something, but we're just going to do family together. And then when we, all, we suddenly had, had left the place we were in and we kind of didn't have a church, I was like, oh, this is unusual. So I was like, well, let's just make our family nights a worship night. So we would put on YouTube videos of worship stuff and we would worship together as a family. Another family said, hey, we don't have a church. Can we come worship with you guys? I was like, yeah. And then another family came and then another family and then... God started turning up in these meetings. People started getting healed, physically healed. Yeah, they started to get prophetic words from God, and what the Bible talks about—words of knowledge—which is like a, a a prophetic word. Somebody can get about a condition that somebody has. It's not revealed to them by natural means. It's supernatural that God just reveals stuff to them. And usually, the purpose is because God wants to heal them of that thing. That, and so people were like, uh, "Do you have a, a blue car?" Whose license plates, And they're like, yes, like it was ridiculously accurate stuff. And mm-hmm. I don't know what was more thrilling watching the surprise on the face of the person who got the prophetic word or the person who it was for. Cause someone's like, really like that, <laughs> that yeah. was accurate. And so you talk about weird, a lot of places that's weird, but weird is pertaining to the supernatural. And so I, we didn't do any advertisement. I didn't have, we weren't even a church. Part of our agreement was that we would wait a year uh, from the previous church, we'd wait a year before we started anything. And I was like, that's fine, because I don't even know this is going to be a church. We've got, one, I don't want to take a single person out of a church. That church. That's yeah. never a goal of mine. In fact, yeah. I, I would tell people from the beginning, you can't come because I don't have anything to come to. There's no church here. Yeah. And so we did that for a year of just praying and worshiping together. And people just kept coming.
0: Were you ever scared? Uh, of what? Scared. Like, that it wasn't going to work out, or that you weren't going to be able to provide, or that... Actually, no. Yeah.
1: It's funny you mention that. I, I don't say of what is, like, confrontation. I'm I Literally, I'm going... So,
0: obviously, the answer is no. Cause yeah. Because you were like, of what? I, I literally
1: was just like, would I be? But there were certainly moments... Jeff, I could, I could fill your the rest of this podcast with God's provision for us. You know, there was not fear, but... I wonder how God's going to work this out. When mm. you have a word from him, it's just because there was another encounter that I had. Um, I actually shared it in our podcast this week. So you're going to have to cross over to the Seashore Church Message of the Week podcast. Cool, yeah. Uh, by the way, I'll put uh, show notes in
0: for the church. <laughs> shameless man. plug. Shameless yeah, no, no.
1: plug. But there was another encounter that I had right in this season of transitioning that God appeared and showed me some very specific things. And so having that powerful of a moment with god um which is as powerful as a moment in that 86 ford bronco Mm -hmm. um i knew i don't know how but i know this is going to work out as long as i keep clean hands and a pure heart and as long as i keep doing what god told me to do everything's going to be fine jeff we had um i had no job i had no health insurance i had no income and and it was like okay god i have to pay my mortgage this month I have to put foot on the table tonight. How yeah. is this going to work out? We had a person show up on our doorstep and they said, I was writing out a check to, to pay something else. And God goes, don't write this check out there. You're to give this as a tithe to Clayton and Romy. And she shows up on our doorstep with a check written to us. Hmm. And I'm like, no, right. Literally I'm going, no, Yeah, no one even knew what was happening. And then I'm like, no, this this is not the plan. That no, uh, uh-uh, sorry, I can't take this. She got mad. I said, I like, literally, there's, we don't have a church. I can't take a personal check from people that you're considering your tithe. I, I can't. That belongs to God's house. That's not me. She got mad. She goes, God told me. Are you telling me to disobey God for this? <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: And honestly, part of the humility for me was being able to receive that check. Yeah. To put food on our table. We we had.
0: I think some people have a hard time receiving. Oh, me personally, I, I used to have a very hard time with receiving even compliments. Yeah. You know, I would always yeah. uh, try to try to push them away,
1: or you know, be self deprecating. Do you know, you know how know. annoying that is? Movies, I know when someone can't receive a compliment. Well, now when
0: people compliment me, I like it's a conscious effort. Like I have to I have to do it on purpose. But I do. I'll, so I make a very clunky statement, but I say I receive that. Yeah, because, that's,
1: because I like that. That's not a clunky yeah, statement.
0: Well, because it would be better to say, like, oh, I know, totally. But, you know, I, it's just uncomfortable for me, so I'm like... Now you're trying to figure out when you don't get a compliment, why are they not complimenting? Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. Don't they know how amazing well, like I am? People say, thank you for your service, right? Like, yeah. I used, that used to be a hard one for me to receive. Like, I'd be like, what do you mean? It's my job. You know yeah. what I mean? But at yeah. a certain point, now I just say, like, yeah, our country's worth it, or thank you very much, or yeah. I appreciate you, or something to that effect. But anyway, yeah. That's so, great, man.
1: So, yeah, those early seasons for us, we that was like something that uncorked something where you know whenever you're planning a church finances are a big issue Mm -hmm. like that's a that's a that's a that's a box you got to check right Mm -hmm. finances building people like those are the three big things that you gotta you gotta check off uh there's also calling and all that sort of stuff which is actually calling and a word from god are actually more important than that for sure but most people can plan a church if they got a good plan they got some money they got a building and they got some people. So that's there's there's great church planning organizations like if you've got that you can you can gather a crowd. You can even buy a year's worth of first year sermons that you can preach. You don't even have to write a message. Like there's there's great models out there that could help just build churches. And I'm not necessarily against them, but that wasn't what God called us to do.
0: I was going to so that leads me into yeah. another question I was going to ask you. Yeah. So You know, I I do this public speaking for the Navy. Yeah. Uh, When I first started doing it, it was very not polished. Right. Uh, And I think that through, I mean, I've been doing it for like a year and a half, but like if I were to get up and talk about something publicly about how to moor to a buoy or conduct an amphibious operation or whatever, Uh stuff, no problem. I got a PowerPoint. Yeah. You know, there's no, like, I got this. This is easy because it's factual. It's black and white. Yeah. This is like... I'm not trying to win hearts and minds. I'm just trying right. to tell you exactly how this operation is going to be conducted. Yeah. When I get up and give my talk, huh? you know, my evolution through resilience talk. Yeah. I mean, I, I still get nervous, you know what I mean? Because every one of them is my baby. And I'm yeah. like, I'm, yes. I'm really believing what I'm doing and I know. So is this just a gift from God that you have this ability to talk to people that way? Or has it always been, you know... And has Clayton Ritter always been the guy that could just get up in front of a crowd? and, You know... Yeah. Because you don't have these memorized, right? Like you have a, maybe an outline or a thought and it's based on your spiritual experience. Right. But where, where does this
1: come from? Like where where does the... Man, not not at all did I ever... They say that the greatest fear anybody ever has is public speaking.
0: Well, or the best... What are the... Death is number three.
1: Yeah, right. So it's uh, the, the two...
0: Wait, I don't know what the hardest is. the hardest job at a funeral is not the guy in the casket; it's the guy giving the eulogy. Yes, right. Yes.
1: Yeah. Well, I've done a lot of funerals, and uh, see, so you make a mistake at a wedding, you can laugh it off. At a funeral, you can't. So That's there's right. so much. Yeah. Yeah. I I fully agree with that statement. That is a that is a tough one to do. I have made more gaffes and mistakes with public speaking. It's I can't listen to myself. It's hilarious. Like it's, mm-hmm. I. Uh, I tell you, kind of a process that I went through with all of this is, you know, I've had the advantage of being around some of the best preachers in the world. Like, not just preachers, but communicators. Just Mm. unbelievable. And you're with them all the time. And you're like, I cannot do what that guy does. Mm. Or girl. You're just like, I just, that's a, oh my gosh, why even bother? Like you get up and watch T.D. Jakes on TV. You're like, why does anybody else preach? That guy just, just take his messages and put it in your church. It's just amazing. You know, it's just, it's, it's unbelievable. But then I realized that God's given me a word. Mm -hmm. And so what I want to do is to get his word out of me. I have to get a word from him, but I want to get that thing out. And so I used to be the kind of preacher communicator that, would work really hard on messages. You know mm-hmm. who would have the outline, write it all out, figure out your points, your illustrations, your scriptures, come up with great transitions and stories, and I would practice them and practice them. There is not one unsaved tree in my backyard, man. I've preached mm-hmm. to all of them. They all gave their hearts to Jesus from practice <laughs> and practice and practice. And then when I when we started this church and it was just a living room, you can't really communicate with people like that in a living room. Yeah. You you just gotta talk to people. And here's a crazy one. Listen and let them talk. There's a unique thought in a church, isn't it? And so my communication style kinda changed and I stopped preparing my messages the way that I did in the past. I stopped practicing them. That was a a big one for me. I realized that I actually need to spend more time in prayer Mm. than I do in practice. Hmm. So I would get this word from God. I'm, I'm researching Bible stuff and I'm writing all these things and these messages. But I'd spend more time making sure that I've gotten from God what he wants for the people than I do practicing my presentation. I talk a lot about it too. Like it my my role more... is a little different than yours. I understand that. Yeah.
0: No, no, no but it makes you more relatable. Yeah. And I make this reference a lot when I see a. Well, I shouldn't even make this judgment, but when I see maybe someone or a church that isn't really, uh, they're not clicking on all cylinders because it's not resonating with people because it's not authentic. And I I say, you know, Jesus didn't walk around with a, you know, he didn't have a a speech. With an iPad. Yeah, he didn't. That's a great thought. I hadn't thought about that. Yeah, And and Jesus wasn't walking around going, hey, you know what, you're dressed this way. And you're the type of person that can afford to hear me this prepared speech. Yes. Do you know what I mean? Like Jesus walked around how he was and talked to people how they were. Man. You know, just, I don't.
1: Jesus didn't preach with notes. It was exactly. The same. That's a yeah. great point. That's really good. Yeah. That's really good. I remember uh, hear, hearing, it uh, <laughs> was another preacher who told this story. And he was actually, if you don't know who TD Jakes is, if you're listening to this, he's like the best preacher in the world, right? And uh, he he was telling the story where this guy got invited to preach for for TD Jakes. He was one of the guest speakers, and he starts to like get his stuff together to go up to the podium, you know, and and, and preach in his church. And he picks up his notebook, and TD Jakes looks at him and goes, "What are you doing?" He goes, "I'm getting my notes together." He goes. If you don't know it by now, you ain't ready. Yeah, right. You can't take it up there. He's like, okay, I think I do. So he started to bring his Bible up. He goes, what are you doing? (laughs) He goes, I'm bringing my Bible up to read. He goes, if you don't know that, you ain't ready. So he (laughs) made him go up without a Bible or notes. And for a guy that is so reliant upon that, which I used to be, Mm. that's tough. That really challenged me to go, if you don't already have it in you. You're going to be communicating from your head, not from your heart. Yeah, right. And so I've had to learn to, I still have notes, but I actually, I have a whole visual thing that I do it a little bit differently, but I I spend more time on making sure it's in my heart than it is in my head and on my tongue. So I might stumble through some stuff, but honestly, some of the best moments we've had in church is when I haven't given the most amazingly homiletical message ever. Mm -hmm. It's because God turned up.
0: Yeah. Same here, man. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't it powerful when that powerful? The first happens? time I ever shared that I had uh, like suicidal ideations, I broke down and started crying. Yeah. In the middle of my talk, because I'd never admitted it publicly at all. Yeah. And I was like, I was just, I was looking out in the crowd, and there was like three thousand people here, yeah. and I'm like, you know what? Like, it's real. It's now or never. And yeah. I just kind of put it out there, and I started crying and at the end of the talk I mean there must have been like 15 people that came up afterwards were like thank you like can I have your phone number like can we talk and I love that
1: you're not ashamed of those tears man when I talked about holding my son for the first time I said you've done nothing my problem that's the way the father looks at you when you shed those tears he goes that's my boy that's real that's
0: my boy another thing I, I did uh I don't know if this is the right way to do it or not, but I'm sure you can relate. And I talk a lot about uh, the importance of like a moving meditation or a movement, mm-hmm. uh, the, the quality. I even started that Facebook group, the 2020 movement, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, because there's, there's more value to moving your body than just good looks or yeah. six pack abs or the trophies. Yeah. I think that that's a good time for you to gather your thoughts and get, I mean, I do listen to audio and podcasts, but typically what I'll do is if I'm out on like a two hour run <laughs> I might listen to an hour and a half of a book or a podcast or your sermon, right? Mm-hmm. Or mm-hmm. Steve Swisher, I'll listen to his sermon if I don't make
1: it to church. Uh, just to be clear, my messages aren't two hours long. It's not the whole No. <laughs> <laughs> In but, case uh, you're wondering. So I'll spend like an hour, an hour and a half of that yeah. two hours
0: yeah. uh, putting something positive into my, my brain. Like, But the last 30 minutes, I typically just try to, you know get in my own head and my yeah. own heart and what am I thinking about and gather my thoughts Process. and let God talk to me and yeah. you know that that may be a time for prayer a time you know my wife would call it meditation yeah. um, but that's also a time where I can gather these thoughts for mm. like how I want to present uh, mm. something that's going to help someone right. like right now at sailors but you know yeah, much like your congregation you know it's a time fair. for you to think about how can I resonate with someone that's really going to help them right because that's what it's about right you yeah. and I are different Yeah. Uh, realms of impact or influence uh but not really yeah that's true you know what i mean like we're both trying to be of service to human beings that need that need some uplifting yeah fire in their heart yeah you know yeah yeah um, what do you think about uh rituals in a church uh so i know a lot of people are turned off hmm. well I, okay no there are two different camps here yeah there are camps in like Catholicism where they love the ritual. Yeah. I can go in and say seven Hail Marys and yeah. good to go. Yep. I can do the uh, people can't see this, but you know the Father, Son, Holy Ghost, uh-huh. cross. Uh-huh. I can do that thing. I can kneel, light the candle, and then I'm good to go. And there are some people that love that. Yeah. There are some people that are like, I don't want any of this ritual. Sure. Like, I feel like right now we're in church. Mm-hmm. Uh, my church does do communion every Sunday. <laughs> I don't really know where I'm at with that, honestly. Mm-hmm. Uh, like whether I'm for it or against it. Mm-hmm. But I'd love to hear your opinions yeah. on why rituals exist. Yeah. Are they necessary? Are we moving away from them? Right. Do they have a place?
1: Yeah. It's a good. It's a great question. I, I think that again, what is it God is desiring with us? It's a relationship. Mm-hmm. So if there is a ritual that helps to either begin or enhance that relationship with Him, why not? Mm -hmm. I use the example that, you know, back when I was in my partying days, I'd go to bed every night. I might be blind drunk, but I'm saying the Lord's Prayer. Mm -hmm. That was my ritual. Right. But when I rededicated my life to Christ, and I said that prayer again, it was, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Can I tell you that what was once a ritual became alive to me? Mm. It was a ritual at one time that really meant nothing. It was, a, it was a token. But now, because my heart had been surrendered to Jesus, those exact same words were leaping out from the page into my heart. The word had become alive to me. The Bible talks about a double-edged sword. So when Jesus says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, God showed me. If Jesus is praying on earth as it is in heaven, then we can have heaven now. hmm Jesus doesn't say, let your kingdom come, your will be done in heaven. He says, on earth, let your kingdom come to earth. Let heaven come to earth. Mm -hmm. Meaning we can experience heaven now. It's not just the place we go when we die, but there is an injection of the kingdom of God into this present age, into this world, it's called the church, and it's heaven. And we can have heaven now. So we don't have to just suffer and die and do our best and then go to heaven where everything is great. We can bring heaven to earth. What does that mean? It means that when I lay hands on the sick, they can be healed because heaven doesn't have sickness. And Jesus said I could do that. It means that I can have healthy relationships with other people because all relationships in heaven are healthy and and if heavens come, then everything that's in heaven, we can have access to now and it changed my mind. Why? Because what was once a ritual had now become alive because I had a surrendered heart. Hmm. So things like communion. Like we in our church we celebrate communion and baptism. Those would be the two probably what you refer to. So I'm good with both of those. Yeah. yeah. Probably what you would refer to as a ritual. Did
0: you see the video of my daughter being baptized?
1: No. I'll share
0: it with you before you. Yeah, leave. please do. I would uh, love to see that. I got something in my eye, man. Heck yeah, yeah. man. Heck <laughs> That's yeah. I'm not crying, you're crying. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right.
1: But you know, both of those were actually things in the in the New Testament that Jesus instructed us to do. At the Last Supper, Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. Whenever you do this, you're remembering me.
0: Yeah, I think, so the conversation, I bring that up because the conversation I had with my daughter, she was like, I want to get baptized. Yeah. So this is a good conversation to have with yeah. you. I'd, I'd love to hear your opinion. Yeah. I, I've never shared this on the podcast, but my daughter said, hey, I want to get baptized. And I said okay baby like let's meet with a pastor and let's have a conversation Uh you know i I love it that you're excited about jesus and that you've welcomed him in your heart yeah awesome so we met with a pastor and of course we got everything set up and everything like that um and it you know it probably took like a month or so of her and me having conversations yeah you know they're only here on weekends right so even less time that i had to really focus and have Mm -hmm. these good conversations with her and i i would love i don't know Hopefully you would agree with the advice I gave her, but, you know, I'm her dad, so that's the advice she got. (laughs) Uh, Uh, But I just said, I said, hey, baby, you know, you don't need to get baptized to go to heaven. Mm -hmm. uh, And you don't need to get baptized to prove to me that you're a Christian that, you know, or I didn't want her to get baptized because I was like dragging my kids to church every Sunday and she felt like it was something she had to do. Yeah. So I completely released her off the hook. Yeah. You know, I was like. Kind of like, what's that saying? You know, if if you let them go, you know they'll come back if it was meant to be. Yeah. And I did. I was like, Hey, you do not have to do this. Yeah. Like this is, this is an outward expression of your love for Jesus. Yes. But it doesn't mean Jesus. You can get baptized and Jesus not be in your heart. Yep. Or you can not get baptized and Jesus still be in your heart. This is an outward expression of your love for your relationship with God. That's a great way to say that. Okay. Cool. Yeah, I like that. No, I like that. That's a great way to say
1: that. It isn't. Outward expression of an inward decision. That's exactly I think, right.
0: And I, I made the reference too, like, to the Navy. I was like, you know, in the Navy, we have a lot of traditions. Mm-hmm. We have a lot of like rituals, retirement ceremonies, commissioning ceremonies. Yeah. If I don't have a commissioning ceremony, on April 1st, 2011, I still became an ensign. Mm-hmm. Right? On September 11th, if I don't have a retirement ceremony... I'm still out of the Navy on September 11th. Yeah, Do you know what I mean. Like yeah. these things are traditions and yes. rituals, and they're good to have to remind us yeah. of the steeped heritage and to reaffirm our yeah. relationship with that that sanctity of whatever that is, right? Yeah. But is it a requirement?
1: Right. Um, I I personally would not see it as a uh, I don't know that I'd use the word requirement. Right. Uh, there's a couple of things about that. If if baptism were a requirement for salvation then the thief on the cross is screwed. Oh, that's powerful. Because I don't think Jesus got, hang on guys, let me get off the cross, get this guy, <laughs> yeah. dunk him in the river and then go back up on the cross. Yeah. Everybody well, it'll be, will be great. But yet he said, you'll see me, I'll be with you in paradise. Um, but yet Jesus said to do it. Yeah. And so out of obedience, I think, rather than saying, does it mean I can't go to heaven? I think, well, what am I missing out on if I'm not?
0: Mm -hmm.
1: because if Jesus says be be baptized then just even the simple act of obedience has the potential to unlock so much more in our relationship with him in a very practical way I have known Christians who maybe hadn't been baptized Uh, are they saved? Yes Mm -hmm. but sometimes they just remain in kind of an infant stage and Mm. God actually wants us to do what he tells us to do and just that simple act of obedience of of being baptized i i can't sit here and tell you scripture and verse this is why it is but i describe that process to you of how the scripture all of a sudden became alive to me i've seen that happen when people have been water baptized oh for sure um and it's also kind of a symbol of joining into into the church family Family. not an individual church but the the church the kingdom the kingdom of god But God also wants us to be baptized with fire, which means the filling of the Holy Spirit that Mm -hmm. came at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 and was the promise for all who believed. Mm -hmm. And so I think people make such a big deal about both of those things. And there's a lot of bad teachings and confusion about it that's out there. But um, I applaud your daughter, man. I think that's fantastic. And to have her come to you and say, I want to do this is so good, man. It's so good. Well, I think that's just... yeah. That, that's great. That just,
0: if we're talking about proof. Yeah. That's proof that God is alive. You know yeah. what I mean? That yeah. he's working in our lives because I did not. Right. I did nothing. Yeah. I mean, I brought her to Sunday school every once in a while. That's to, not nothing. Well, sure. Sure. And I talked to him about God. Yeah. Right. Uh, I mean, she didn't just like come out of nowhere. But yeah. I certainly didn't come to her and say, you need to get baptized.
1: Or, yeah. It was just God working in her. That is um, fantastic, man.
0: So... On the resilience piece, Uh uh, I think a lot of people look at pastors. I know that I did until I got to know a few pastors Uh personally, like as friends. Mm -hmm. And I thought, man, these guys are just, you know, perfect, (laughs) right? Or they're corrupt, right? Yeah, yeah, (laughs) Um, yeah. But I don't know that I ever (laughs) thought, you know, someone... I think a lot of people, whether you're a pastor or just... Whatever your role is in life, you know you're on this pedestal, you're on this podium, like yeah. you're on a stage in front of all these people, telling them how to live their lives, right? Yeah. And yet, you're a human being too, right? Yeah. So give some people uh, a few uh, things that yeah have required some resilience in your life. Right? Yeah,
1: that's that's actually a good point. You're either on a pedestal or downrange, you know. I mean, yeah, I right? if, yeah. if you're one of those two things. You've got a bullseye on you. Um, uh, yeah, man. I guess. I kind of think a little differently to this. So in my circle of, of pastors, mm. I hear a lot of this. I, got, I appreciate hearing your point of view about you either saw them as one of these two things. A lot of pastors view themselves in the way that you go to these conferences and they tell you that pastoring is the hardest job in the world. Um you know, only 1% of churches make it past the five year mark. They're closing right? more often than businesses. Pastors are the most depressed of the, you know, the, all these statistics 98%, I'm just throwing out statistics 98% of pastors deal with depression or you know, have all these things. And, and it's like, well, who'd want to sign up for that? You know, mm-hmm. I got, I, I don't have any of those things. I've, I've faced challenges and difficulties, but uh, I laugh when pastor, pastoring is the hardest profession in the world. I'm like, Let me come take you with some of the guys that I'm pastoring right now that are on their fourth deployment Mm -hmm. and they're in combat every single night kicking down doors having no idea what's behind that door. Let me come introduce you to a guy that I just visited in the hospital that just got shot 16 times and is still alive and tell me that pastoring is hard. Mm -hmm. Was it hard for me to go to him or was it hard to be laying in that bed? You know what I mean? And I'm like, "That's, that's crazy. So... I guess my thinking towards it is a little bit different. So when I talk about the things that required resiliency for me, I guess I, I've got a little pushback on that sometimes because I go, you know, I'm not comparing myself to other people, but if I did, man, I've got the best. I, I, just, I wake up every day and go, I've got the best job in the world. You're grateful. I get, Man, I get to tell people about Jesus. Are there bumps in the road? Sure. Will people misinterpret my intentions? Of course they will. Are they going to say bad things about me on Facebook sometimes? Yeah, mm-hmm. they do. But you know what? I'm not getting shot at. Mm. Not lately, at least. You know what I mean? Like it's giving that perspective to go. I, I am a part of bringing God's kingdom to the earth, just like you are. This is the greatest privilege I've ever had in my life. Mm. It's come with some resiliency. So I left my place of employment, didn't have a paycheck, didn't have health insurance. That's a little bit daunting, I was you gonna know?
0: say, there's a story. Of I got three right kids, yeah. and
1: my kids are like, "All right, Dad, what's what's happening this week?" And it required resiliency, but man, I'm. It, it, it's my resiliency actually comes from those things I talked about before: my identity mm-hmm. in God, of knowing if I'm His son, God knows how to take care of His kids. Yeah. So the resiliency I need is to constantly be listening to Him and not the voice of the enemy keeping the faith not the voice that i can tell myself sometimes but if i stay true to him and stay true to my calling he's going to kind of work some of that stuff out you know and i thought it was pretty interesting perspective uh
0: it'll drop or drop today um which by the time people listen to this it'll be a week Mm -hmm. later but whatever um but i interviewed rick alexander and he was saying uh you know, that may be true. Yeah. So like everything you were talking about, like, you know, yeah. you, you don't have a paycheck, you got three kids, you don't have healthcare. Yeah. You're going out on a limb for God and your, your yeah. faith. That may be true. Yeah. And what he said was, but what else is true? Yeah. You know, cause never at one time is one thing, the truth, right? Mm. So these may be things that are true right now, but what else is true? Yeah. What else is true is that God is working in you and your That's life great. and he has a purpose for you. And yeah, you know, what else is true is, I think, a good focus for people. And it sounds like you've just kind of yeah. always had that uh, perspective of what else is true. Yeah. Right. Or what, what, is, what is more important? Sure. Right. Is, is your own comfortability more important than you being a good human? Yeah. Being a servant of God. Uh, you know, I, I like to say humble servant is
1: what I Yeah, that's great. Um,
0: that's great. Or servant leader. Uh, yeah. You know, but that's what's true as well. Yeah. Right, so like it'd be easy for me to sit here and focus on all the things that have gone wrong in my life, you know. Oh, you lost your commission. You're getting forced retired out of the navy. You know you. Yeah. You know you're on your third marriage, right? Yeah. Uh, your kids, you only see them two weekends a month and every other holiday, and you know you pay two thousand dollars a month in child support. And I can, Clayton, I can go on, man. Sure. What else is true? That's great. <laughs> I got mm. a great marriage. I'm in a good relationship with God. That's yeah. working in my life. Mm. I'm I'm saving lives. This yeah. podcast is probably gonna save somebody's life that's gonna reach out yeah. that needs to talk to somebody. I agree. You know? What else is true? And yeah. that's the focus we need to have is like yeah, we could have all these things that yeah. you know, it would be very easy for a guy like you to say, Man, I just need to go get this job and my political science degree yeah. because that's the yeah. safe that's the safe net, yeah. right? It some is. would say guts, yeah. some would say courage. Yeah. You call it a calling. Yeah. Uh, but what else is true? There's yeah. so many good things in your life, but you just have to shift the paradigm, shift that focus yeah. to what is actually working in your life, and then
1: do more of that. Yeah, do more of that. You're right, man. <laughs> I, I kind of said it this way that you know, there's two paintings that are being drawn for us all the time. One is the painting the devil tries to draw for us that shows our future, and our future is always based upon our past mistakes. Well, you were abused. You, you didn't have a good upbringing. You made mistakes. So here's what your future is gonna be looked like because of the things that are in your past. And yet God draws us a picture that says that I am able to do immeasurably more than you ever ask, hope, or imagine according to the power that's at work within you. It's mm-hmm. Ephesians 3.20. Mm-hmm. He says your future is determined by what I say it is and the power that's at work within you right now, not your past. I said, you've got two paintings, but you get to decide which one you put on your wall. And I see some people that take that picture of the enemy that says, here's your past and all the ways that will limit you. And not only do they put that painting on their wall, they make whole art museums. Well, look what happened here. And look what all my friends did over here. And look at all the mistakes that I've had here. So, of course, my life is going to be a mess. Mm. And the problem is not that they had a bad past. The problem was that they put that painting on their wall. And yet God says, if you put my painting on your wall of your future, like I'm painting a picture of your future here and it's with me and mm-hmm. it is a blessing and abundance. If that's the picture you choose to put on your wall, then that's what you look at every day. And just like you said, that's where you're moving towards. Self-fulfilling prophecy. It really yeah. is. It's yeah. a God-fulfilling prophecy. Well, yeah, because, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's, it's, but it, there's a part that I have to play in that. Mm-hmm. In order for that painting to get activated in my life, it requires my faith. And my faith is often built on what I look at the most I've got two questions yeah I think that's pretty powerful
0: I'm not done yet but that's pretty yeah. powerful right there yeah. um, so two two things I definitely want to ask you and uh, then we'll probably wrap up um, if you were to send a message to somebody listening right now that yeah. uh, is on the fence or maybe they don't know God they don't know Jesus and they're kind of reluctant hmm what would you say to that person that may
1: bring him closer to being saved? You yeah. already did. You deserve love. Ah, oh, wow. yeah. It's the same message. Yeah. Not because you've earned it, but because it's been freely given to you, and God loves you more than you could ever imagine, and He has given an invitation of love to you. He sent His Son to you to die to take all of your mistakes all of your past all the stuff that the devil painted that picture of jesus already took on his body and did away with it on the cross when you look at the cross and jesus on the cross it's not just jesus on the cross it's my sin it's my imperfection it's all on there dead done away with and when he raised again from the dead he showed us that we can not only have victory over our past but we can have a new life in him And that's what I would encourage people with is you deserve love. And there is like a waiting invitation for you to respond to just to say, I receive the love that God has for me. And when you experience that love, it suddenly helps you realize how much stuff is maybe in your life that's not that. Mm. And you begin to unload, go, well, this doesn't sound like love. If it doesn't sound like love, it's not God. Because God always sounds like love. So these things that I'm hearing in my own head, these things that I've surrounded my life with, if it doesn't sound like love, I'm getting rid of it. Because mm. God is love. And I deserve love. And God loves me. So why put up with any of these counterfeits that are trying to be less than what God is? So you don't have to fix all your stuff. Almost chose another word there. You don't have to fix all <laughs> of your stuff and then come to God and Him and go, okay, you're good enough to be in my family doesn't work that way because there's not enough fixing you can do. It's responding to the invitation he's already given us and saying, God, I haven't done anything that would deserve, they would earn this, but you've given it freely and I receive your love. I, I receive that. that. Yeah. <laughs> That's, That's good. it, man.
0: Last question. I ask everybody yeah. this question. I'm always intrigued by the answer because they, they go in like so many different directions. Okay. Uh, so it's very interesting for me with everybody's different response. And yeah. I have a philosophy that I've worked through it makes sense to me, it may make no sense to you, but uh, for a lot of years, I was really worried about my legacy, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, officer in the Navy, whatever that looked like, you know, the house, the whatever, you know, worried about what I was going to leave behind in the history books that would say, if you Googled my name, like what that legacy would be, right? Mm -hmm. And then what happened in chasing that legacy is that Mm -hmm. I was so worried about my reputation that I probably dismissed my character and honestly forgot about my value system so if you work it backwards like your yeah. value system you know your beliefs mm-hmm. what what makes up your your core values forges into your character yep. which then provides into your reputation and then ultimately your legacy but if you yes. did if you just worried about your character and yep. and uh values yep. I think you're what I've seen to be true in my life is that I don't have to worry about my reputation or legacy at all. That's correct. It just happens automatically, like yeah. So when I when I counsel sailors and when I talk <clears throat> to people, I'm like, hey man, you're so worried about your reputation and legacy, like just worry about your character right now. Yeah. Like just, just worry about your character. Sure. So the the question is if when Clayton Ritter passes or if I were to write this in this book right here, like and I'm not going to put it on the podcast and you'll never know I'm just going to write it right here like this is Clayton's character after our conversation and this is how I judge his character not judge but these are my thoughts on your character yeah what would you hope that people would think is your character
1: yeah it's a great question you know character and reputation are not always the same thing Mm -hmm. your reputation is what other people think of you your character is who God knows you are Mm. and so I know which one of those two things that I'm more focused on. So you say work on your character. If you take care of the character, the reputation eventually will take care of itself. Mm -hmm. There's a a story. Oh gosh, I'm going to get biblical on you here. No, it's good. It's part of your character. (laughs) There was a a book in the Old Testament called uh, Esther. And it dealt with this situation where um, there was an honorable man who wanted to do the right thing before God. But it was actually Esther's uncle. But he had somebody that had it out for him. And he kept spreading lies about him. He was ruining his reputation, potentially at the cost of his own life. But this man made sure, Mordecai is his name, made sure that he was staying true to who he knew he was supposed to be and trusted God for the rest of it. And the guy that was spreading the lies, his name was Haman, ended up suffering the very fate that he intended for Mordecai. Hmm. Because Mordecai says, if I just trust God, then eventually my reputation will take care of itself. Daniel was the exact same thing. Daniel refused to bow to the idols of his Babylonian captors. He refused to um, denounce God at the risk of his own life because people were lying about him. And in the end, the same thing happened. The very people who were trying to throw him in a lion's den, trying to put him in a fire furnace, they suffered the fate that they intended for Daniel, and Daniel was lifted high and honored. Daniel never tried to lift himself up, never tried to honor himself. He only stayed true to who he knew he was, stayed true to his convictions that were godly convictions, and his reputation take care of itself. So for me, I wanna be more like Daniel. I wanna be more like Mordecai. I wanna not worry about what everybody else is saying about me, but I wanna keep clean hands and a pure heart. The Mm. very thing God told me about, keep clean hands and a pure heart and I will take care of the rest. And so when you look back at my legacy, I think I would love to um, have a legacy where I'm remembered less and Jesus is remembered more. Wow, awesome. I think the best sermons I ever preach are not when people walk away and go, man, that guy can preach. But when they walk away and go, man, I love Jesus. Mm -hmm. John the Baptist was the greatest preacher around at the time, and Jesus shows up. And when he shows up on the scene, John has this massive following. He's building a big church in the desert, right? And he looks at Jesus and says, I must become less... And he must become greater. You don't hear that a lot, do you? Mm. He's saying my legacy needs to go away so that his legacy can come. My heart is to see my legacy become his legacy. So at the end of my life, people are pointed more to Jesus than they are to me. I don't want monuments to Clayton Ritter. (laughs) I don't want to build buildings with my name on it. I want to see his kingdom come. I want to see his will be done. And at the end of my life, when they lay me to rest or whatever, there is a kingdom that shows for that. I wanna see a people so powerfully filled with the Holy Spirit that they are operating in their spiritual gifts. And we see apostles and prophets and teachers, evangelists and pastors who are leading this movement much further beyond me. That it's not ever just about me, the man of God, leading these people like Moses. It is a generation of people that have raised up, that have caught this thing, this kingdom thing. They can hear from God for themselves. They know their own spiritual gifts, and they are moving powerfully and taking back ground that the enemy has stolen in people's lives for too long. So I I become less. I think at the end of my life, I would like my legacy to keep getting smaller. It's kinda of weird, isn't it? It's powerful. Yeah, and his
0: legacy to grow. I think that's a great place to, to land in, man. I, I want to take a second just to acknowledge you i appreciate everything you do in our community yeah uh, I, I follow your uh, your podcast i'll put some i mean not to sell it but just to share the word man. no i appreciate like, it i'll put yeah. some stuff in here yeah um but uh you know i love you man i you i appreciate too. what I love you're you doing too. Yeah, yeah man uh this has been good for me you know? <laughs> me too <laughs> yeah i talk a lot about you know how important it is to share yeah you know positivity and yeah. you know saving people and helping people. But in doing so, it's been helpful for me too, man. So I appreciate you taking the time to even just talk to me. If nobody listens to this, I got a
1: lot out of it. Thanks, Jeff. It's an honor. And what you're doing is saving lives, man. It really is. You'll probably never see this side of heaven the impact that the podcast like this will have in your life. But just know that in eternity... There is, uh, you know, what what is it? Marcus Aurelius. are a big fan of his, right? Oh yeah. What we do today echoes in eternity. That's right. That's what's happening, man. That's what you're doing. Yeah, I'm just doing my best, brother. That's all we can do, right? Yep. That's it. All right. All right. Thanks, man. All
0: right, friends. There you have my conversation with my friend Clayton Ritter, Pastor Clayton Ritter. A uh, few things I tweezed out. He uh, he referenced uh, Ephesians chapter three, verse twenty. Now, all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. And how I interpret that is you know, if God is working in you, you can do more good than you could possibly imagine, or that you have more purpose in life than maybe you're seeing right now. And you may not know what that calling is, but you may feel that gentle tug at your heart. Or in your mind. And uh, I would just tell you from my own experience that I've seen that that work in my own life. Whereas Clayton said, you know, with clean hands and a pure heart. um, If you follow that path with clean hands and a pure heart. Knowing that uh, with his power at work within us, we can can do more than we ever thought was possible. Uh, At least that's been my experience. And another thing I'd like to tweeze out or point out is, Clayton said, God doesn't want acknowledgement. He wants to be experienced. And that's, you know, that's powerful, man, because it's not about bragging to your friends about uh, anything you've done or any accomplishment or anything you think is cool or instagram photo worthy you know it's about having that relationship everything is relationships i've talked about that on the podcast before everything is a you're in a relationship with everything in your life you're in a relationship with every facet of your life and if you're lacking in that relationship spiritually if you do not have a spiritual relationship maybe you should think about that And uh, ask yourself why. And then understand that if you do come to know God, that there's no requirement. There's no, you know, like Clayton was saying that you deserve love. Or I guess I said it, but he emphasized what I said. Uh, You know, you deserve to be loved. And God loves you already, and he's waiting for that relationship with you. So uh, let me know what you guys think. Share it with somebody that, that needs to hear this. Uh, and yeah, just, just know I'm here for you, man. If, if there's anything I can do to help you build that relationship where you can love yourself, love others, and know God's love, just know that I'm here for you and that I love you. Peace.